0: Hi all, welcome to Anime Echoes where we look at anime, manga, light novels and the like to discuss our favourite series. This is an analysis of the third part of Bakudev volume 2. So last time we finished off by hearing from Firo about Claire and that Misa was waiting for an alchemist from 200 years ago, so we'll be continuing on from that. We'll begin with Lad's interaction with the magician-like figure who he ends up meeting. You recall that Lad saw him on the train and then he vanished, and because of that he got really excited for the possibilities. We come to find out that the magician is a man, and he ends up giving Lad a small black bag that holds medicine and books in languages that he can't read. The language is most likely foreign to Lad. Lad does return the items because it doesn't appeal to him. The magician laughs at the idea of being called a magician. He says it's not it. But it is something similar. Since he has books in languages most people can't read and is similar to a magician, he's probably an alchemist. Not only that, I think that this is the person Miser is trying to meet at the at the station, which we talked about in last episode, the alchemist from 200 years ago. Further into this conversation, Ladd states that this is the kind of guy that he's the worst at dealing with. Lad likes to rob hope and the feeling of control from people and kill them. This guy is someone who gives the vibe of someone who could die at any moment, and be fine with it. The complete opposite of what Lad desires to see. In a way, the magician has accepted some sort of peace. Maybe that's why he was gazing at the night and was reluctant to part from it. The night sky is vast, still, and very distant. And he's being pulled towards it, away from his earthly desires. Does he want to escape from this world? Does he feel like he has lived enough years and ultimately would feel content leaving his life? If he is the 200 year old alchemist, then this could very much be the case. Lad sees the peace and the lack of wanting to be alive through the magician's eyes. Apparently his eyes are similar to Lua's, Though, the impression I get is Lua is apparently more of like a dead fish kind of look, and apparently the magician kind of looks the same. But in my opinion, Lua's eyes and the magician's eyes are different. To me, the vibe I get from Lua is one of being kind of done with the world, and an almost like don't care kind of attitude. I don't know much about Lua, but that's the impression I get. The magician seems to be at peace. He also seems done with the world, but he, he seems to have some level of peace, and it seems he's lived a long life, and is ready to leave. Hence, their eyes may look the same, but I don't think the meaning behind those eyes are the same. Eyes seems to be a theme throughout this story. We hear about Lad wanting to see the glint of regret in people's eyes. Goose's eyes are at max brightness when watching violence. Eyes of Carnage from Chain and, I mean Chane and the woman in coveralls, so who's probably Claire. And now this magician, and Lua's eyes as well. Eyes seem to reflect character in this novel. Moving on to Goose. He's captured Mrs. Berriam, the senator's wife, and he's just assessing the situation in regards to the people in the white suits. Due to them, he advises that the senator's wife should be moved to another compartment because he doesn't want to risk anything. So from this we can infer that Goose is very risk-averse. He showcases this even further when he says, we need to confirm facts, not speculate. Since Goose values facts, we can tell that he values what is tangible and can be proven, and doesn't have the time for speculation or the unknown. This is not the same as Lad. Lad likes taking risks, the potential of something entices him. We learn more about Goose through learning about Chane. So she only takes orders from Huey, despite being part of the lemurs, and she doesn't take orders from anyone else, just the boss. Now initially I thought Goose had a solid connection with Chane, but it's revealed that he doesn't really care about her and thinks she's not living past tomorrow noon. He thinks she's just playing him for her own goals. Chane is quite an elusive person, and seems to act on her own, and she might be quite an enigma for Goose. Something he can't quite put his finger on, and because of that, he has to speculate as to what her intentions are. Now speculation is the thing that Goose hates to do. China is the unknown, and he's not in control. We also have another scene that showcases how Goose's brain works. He hears from the freight team that something is wrong, someone is screaming, and they say monsters are attacking them, and he hears footsteps through puddles of blood through a transmission. He had decided to send his team to investigate prior to this message, but calls them back upon hearing it, because the existence of the monster through the transmission has now created a risky situation, and he doesn't want to involve his men in it, because now once again, Goose is having to speculate about what is happening. Interestingly enough, When he does speculate, it's still very down to earth and rooted in his own experiences that he sees with his own two eyes. An experience he refers to is his meeting with a woman in coveralls that made him feel uneasy, and he hears about that woman again from a passenger. Those are the facts. Therefore, he concludes well it's most likely the woman in coveralls that's the monster. I think that's a fair assumption given the information that he has, but he does not think about any other potential option. The idea of something being outside of his known information is almost unfathomable. Lad would speculate about what it could be and get excited. Jacuzzi would make up worst-case scenarios. If you're someone who enjoys the act of speculation, you would most likely include scenarios that are outside of your known information, or consider that you don't have all the information. Goose seems to have a tendency to go back to what is known, rather than consider the possibilities. Once again, traits that are very different from Lad. Lad loves possibilities and chaos. Goose wants control. Now, on to Jacuzzi. Last time, he was gazing at the pool of blood in the conductor's room. The life returns to Jacuzzi's eyes upon hearing his friends, so clearly the scene has shook him in ways. What happened to Jacuzzi amongst seeing the blood is he thinks about all his friends, Niece, Donnie, Isaac, and Miriam and how they're in danger, and that he'll be putting them in danger. He decides that he needs to run the black suits and the rail tracer off the train. Previously, Jacuzzi had thought of his friends being hurt from the rail tracer, so he went to the conductor's room. So he took actions to protect his friends, but he didn't fight. He asked for help, or he wanted to. So before, he wanted the conductor to solve the problem. But that can't be done anymore the conductor's dead. Jacuzzi will now be putting the problem into his own hands. Though we learn more about this decision as we go deeper. We firstly learned that him becoming the boss of a gang kinda just happened. He didn't force anything. He noticed that the prohibition law was incorrect, and hated that the mafia was raking in money and killing. So in response to that, he decided to sell cheap tasting liquor and eventually a bunch of guys just started hanging around him. And they started calling him boss. Once again, Jacuzzi felt empathy for other people's problems and it's only then does he take actions into his own hands. He acts on behalf of other people. In addition, he was feeling empathy for people he doesn't even know, those that were killed by the mafia, they aren't his friends or anything. But I don't think he seems himself in this way, as someone who cares for others regardless. So, once again, Jacuzzi is acting similarly. He knows he is putting his friends in danger, but he wants to save the passengers on the train, all of them, and that the rail tracer would be too dangerous to have in New York. He considers it a selfish request because he is putting his friends in danger for the sake of others. He considers it selfish because he is willingly put his friends at risk for the sake of a moral goal. In the end, we hear that his tattooed face wore a devilish kind of expression, while the tears he cries were hotter than anyone's. The devilish expression probably represents the more forceful actions he's about to take, that he's going to defeat the black suits and the rail tracer, but even more so, that he might secretly be enjoying himself. The simultaneous tears he cries would be for the sacrifices he's asking of his friends. Luckily for Jacuzzi, he has good friends. Niece and Johnny agree quickly, and he knows they would. They have a tight bond, and it's a pretty wholesome scene. I think this scene was to showcase how Jacuzzi justifies his switch to the offensive, the bond he shares with his friends, and how he kinda comes to his moral compass. Uh, just quickly, moving along, we find out Jack and Nick, who are members of Jacuzzi's gang and Lua, Sir so Lad's bride, Uh, have been captured by the black suits, Um, lad comes charging in and ends up rescuing Lua and beating the shit out of Jack, but he doesn't kill him. So moving back to Jacuzzi again, Jacuzzi sees Jack all bloodied up and clenches his fists. It's asked, is Jacuzzi's switch on? So the members of his gang know that despite Jacuzzi being a crybaby, once his switch is on, it's a different ballgame. So they probably understand his devilish expression, Apparently in the past, the Russo family killed 8 of their people. He robbed 8, and in response to that, Jacuzzi robs 18 of their establishments, and that's why the Russo family is after him. When Jacuzzi cares about something, or sees some injustice, he goes on a revenge frenzy, and it's actually the fear that puts him back to home base, the Jacuzzi that we know. And he only got his fear back after the funeral for those 8 people. What this means is, Jacuzzi stops his frenzy only once he feels like justice has occurred and that the scenario that caused the frenzy is complete. So the completion of said scenario would be marked by the end of the funeral. It seems with his switch on, he is more perceptive, which would be a callback to the prologue where he acted as the brains of the group, planning the worst case scenarios such as the cops showing up. He notices that the prey, the thing they wanted to steal, the explosives were behind the wall the way he figured this out was the compartment when he was inside felt smaller than the actual length of the compartment itself. So, what this means is that the wall in the rear was too far forward. Something was hidden behind it. Now, Jacuzzi is mad at Lad after hearing what the Roosters have done, that they beat up Jack. They actually end up seeing each other. Lad finds a bloody scene and taunts Jacuzzi to come see. But Jacuzzi is cautious around Lad. Ladd says something interesting, you're pretty cautious, folks say caution and cowardice are two different things, but they also say caution is cowardice, so which is it? I think it's clear that Jacuzzi's caution isn't cowardice, and and that's because his switch is on now, he's ready to take action into his own hand. Cowardice I think would imply inaction, and in Jacuzzi's case, I would argue that he's being careful, and just not reckless. Lad ends up leaving and Jacuzzi inspects the crime scene. It's a black suit with his bottom half gone, blood on the ceiling and it's implied someone left through the sliding door that leads outside on a moving train. It's probably the rail tracer. And lo and behold, they end up seeing someone covered in red, and then he goes on the roof, and Jacuzzi and niece follow him. Donnie goes through the carriage holding a bloodied up jack. Now really quickly, just onto Isaac and Miriam, they hear gunshots from the freight room, so they decide to move there. And Cezaloza, S- can't say his name, um, the boy standing with uh, C, leaves Mary Berium, so the senator's wife's daughter, in the closet. Now Isaac and Miriam spot Lad's group, they hide. Lad's group kills someone because he looks confident, and that's what Lad does, he likes to rob confidence. Isaac and Miriam both go into the freight train thinking that someone was killed. And that someone could be Jacuzzi because he was up ahead, but there was no corpse. So more rail tracer stuff, I think. But Jacuzzi was also in the opposite direction. They also meet Johnny during this situation and they confuse each other thinking both sides are the rail tracer. It's 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 a good scene, it's pretty it's pretty funny. So Jacuzzi meets up with Donnie and he is Isaac and Miriam are worried about him, so he decides to go after them with Donny. Before departing from niece and Nick, Jacuzzi and niece exchange a kiss, and turns out it's their first kiss. Turns out, they've been together for 10 years. That's, that's a while. Now, quickly moving back to Mary Barium, She's in the closet, scared out of her mind. When she hears footsteps, she's praying it's her mother, but turns out it's Chane, and she ends up getting taken away. China gives Mary to Goose. During this scene, Goose starts to notice that his comrade one of the conductors should have had the signal rocket go up from the bridge, but it just didn't happen. Now the berry family before him, Mrs. Berrim and Mary, were to be used as leverage against the senator for their demands to rescue Huey. So now the plan's gone awry. In this series, I feel like the author likes characters who are kind of chaotic by nature. They have something eccentric going on, and while Goose does enjoy violence, Majority of his personality comes down to being careful and risk averse. I might be wrong, but I don't think this archetype will actually come out on top in a story like Bachana. I could be wrong in future novels, but Goose lacks that eccentricness, and I think that'll probably bite him in the ass. Now, moving on to Jack, he was left in a compartment, and he's basically holding on to dear life. He starts remembering his childhood, where he buried his parents due to malnutrition, which apparently happened a lot to a lot of immigrant parents. We find out that him and Nick were childhood friends and he initially thought that Jacuzzi was just an idiot and that eventually he would make his own mafia outfit. Being near death, he thinks about the kind of person Jacuzzi is and how he in fact got drawn in by Jacuzzi. As he's doing this, the magician actually appears in front of him saying, It's good that you still want to live while you're still young. I envy you. Because during this time, Jack isn't accepting death. He wants to help Jacuzzi. Now moving on back to the Goose and Chane group. There's a really great image that's drawn where Chane's just kind of looking up because I think she hears something on the roof. And I think this is the case because a scene starts where Niece and Nick are standing between Lad Russo and Chane. Lad is acting crazy like always, but he's never incompetent. Even when swaying his rifle around jokingly, the rifle point is always locked onto Chane. There's a crazy scene where Lad shoots, and Chane deflects the bullet but it wasn't even intentional. Chane throws a dagger at Lad, and he stomps on the dagger mid-air and slams it to the ground. Lad is a very competent fighter. This act shocks Chane slightly, so you know Lad's strong when he can slightly shock and assassin. Lad runs and Chane chases after him. During this commotion, Lad does say something interesting. When I love, well, it means I kill. Since the person Lad loves is Lua, I'm wondering if his goal at the end is to murder her actually. Now unfortunately after China and Lad leave, Nisa and Nick are caught by Spike, so Goose's henchman. They get questioned by Goose and Niece tells Goose mostly the truth at the end. She says that she just wanted to steal stuff. They tell him that the conductor's room had two dead bodies in fact. Now Goose is thinking what the hell is going on? Is this why the conductor who is in fact Lima, didn't do his part? He wants to go investigate. Goose is starting to notice that he is in the unknown now, and the only way to confirm what's happening is to go to the scene of the crime. Now, on a more positive note, Isaac and Mira and Jacuzzi finally meet. They've been running after one another the entire time for the sake of one another. Now they're all apologizing to one another, and now they're trying to out-apologize each other as well. Then Isaac starts understanding what's going on. The white suits, the black suits, and the rail tracer. He makes a reference to the Three Kingdoms, where Jacuzzi currently represents Yoshitsune Minamoto the character who will best the Three Kingdoms and become king. Now the Three Kingdoms would be the black suits, the white suits, and the rail tracer. So Jacuzzi will end up on top. But Jacuzzi is hesitant to this idea. If he can actually be this great, he he doesn't know how and if he's actually a good person or not. Isaac says good and bad is kinda relative and depends on the situation and the mood that's created. What Jacuzzi doesn't realise is that he has always tried to do the right thing. And that he actually creates an impression on other people. There's a reason why he is the head of a gang. There's a reason why Jack was talking about being drawn to him. People are drawn into the current that Jacuzzi creates. He has a stronger pull than he thinks. I also believe this reference to the Three Kingdoms is to explicitly showcase to Jacuzzi that he is really putting himself forward. Being a conqueror he's actually taking over the train. He's being a mafia boss. Jacuzzi thanks them for the pep talk, and I think agrees to the role. But then he asks directly to Isaac and Miriam, So what are you? They say they are the Southwest Wind. A wind that carries despair and happiness, and they want to carry happiness. I think what I'm supposed to infer from this is that they are chaotic, because they can bring both despair and also happiness, but either way, Just like the wind, they can provide the gust that pushes people forward, like Jacuzzi right now, or blow away the enemy. They'll make some sort of wave by beating or distracting or running away from the rail tracer. The wind they cause will create a far-reaching ripple into the ocean of the plot. Now Jacuzzi states this about Isaac and Mirah. What selfish people? Willful people? I don't know who those two are, but they're much bigger villains than I am. Yeah, this train is full of villains and hopeless thugs, us included. Those two are several times more villainous than I am, but I bet they're several times better people than I am too. I think the selfishness of Isaac and Mira is that they believe that if their intentions are good, the good things will happen. Or that if they have a positive outlook on just about everything, even if it doesn't make sense, it'll kind of end up well. In addition, they believe that their actions will work out in a positive way. They are villainous because in many cases, this may not be true, that positivity can be destructive if misused, but they always think good of others and care about others, and that's why they're great people. It seems Jacuzzi has fully accepted his role as the conqueror of the train and being a force that actually moves forward, and what he's willing to sacrifice to ensure that the enemies are defeated. Jukisi's nature is one of being timid, but it seems he has a part of him that is very much like a mafia boss. After all this, we see that the expression on his face is one he hasn't shown before. He's having fun. Now, just some small stuff to go through at the end. We do learn random things about Nice, such as her being a serial bomber. Also, she seems to be pretty perceptive with that one eye. She's always like glaring at stuff and making kind of subtle interpretations. Also, Jack does receive uh like a bag from the magician, so I'm curious to see where that goes like will the book that he that he's going to be holding will that lead to something because it's in a foreign language or the medicine will the medicine cure him maybe i'm I'm curious if the medicine itself holds some sort of um like immortality drink right and then that's how Jack doesn't die yeah I'm gonna go with that. As far as themes go, other than the eyes that I mentioned before, I don't see that much of the return of the old generation versus new generation theme, other than Goose's inability to be more of a kind of creative thinker. Maybe his inability to change plans might be an example of the older generations being less willing to give up on kind of like traditions, like they want to have everything planned out uh, to be less kind of reckless. Also, we see that the higher tech gadgets that Goose uses no longer work to his advantage. If you can't understand what's actually happening through the transmission, then the communication itself isn't all that useful. As for the eating thing from the last podcast, I haven't really been able to find anything, but I'm hoping maybe in the next part there'll be more like details surrounding that theme, or maybe. Well, the idea of like eating, it's. It was also in the, the first light novel as well, so maybe it's just kind of something that's touched upon within each light novel, rather than explored as like you know, a theme in this one novel. So we'll have to see where all of that goes. Either way, this was an analysis of the third part of Volume 2, uh, we'll be going through the final part next time, um, look forward to seeing you in there, thanks!